0: MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How was your trip, Trey? Man, it was so good. It was, I was telling you earlier, it feels weird to be back now because we were supposed to be recording about 30 minutes ago, but I think I forgot how to set up my my (laughs) recordings set up because I had just been in full-on vacation mode. Like, even though I'm back, I'm not back. It's okay. Well, it's weird. You came back. Not weird, but you, well. It is weird. I came back. <laughs> well, no, no, so Apparently it, I was it, fleeing the country, so. <laughs> 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 I'm well, not for, a great criminal if I came back to the scene of the crime. Oh, man. So for me,
1: you know, I'm off all week. Yeah. My school's off all week. The kids have been off all week. Amity's been off all week. And so it's like, it's weird because I'm like, you came back from vacation, to the holidays and being off, but you didn't come back to actually being off. So I know you had today and I know you'll get tomorrow for those we're recording on Thursday, Thanksgiving day in the U S. Uh, yeah. so yeah, so it's, so in, in my head at first for a second, it's like, you came back from vacation to, to being off on the holidays, but you actually went to work.
0: <laughs> oh no, I went right to work. Uh, you know, I tried to plan it where, where it would be easier at work. Cause it's the slow season for me at work. So Things aren't growing as fast. What I didn't anticipate was that I was coming back to a three-day work week because of Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. these first three days were wild. But luckily we got through it uh, and I got these two days to, to rest. And Yeah. And and I'm excited to be back, man. I I, want to say, first of all, thank you to friend Daniel and Amity for joining us, or joining you, I should say, joining the podcast in the two weeks I was gone. They did a really wonderful job, and thanks to you, because those episodes were really good, man, and it was so much fun to get that audience perspective of this show.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed that part, because like, I even waited to uh, schedule it uh-huh for on, on um you know our transistor with we use transistor and i waited to schedule it so you wouldn't even be tempted to peek uh, i didn't upload any of the audio to the drive <laughs> i left all of my computer you know and when i when i named it on remotely for those i didn't name the episodes i just named the guests so even if you like looked at the email or anything i tried to keep it completely in the dark So when you listened
0: I totally looked at the email. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so called out. <laughs> oh man, I will say this though, like it was it was a weird habit when cuz I was over there For one of the Sundays, which Sunday is when I normally am running through all my transistor double checks to make sure everything's scheduled. And it was like, I found myself reflexively opening transistor and being like, nope, I can't do this. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) And then I came back home on a Sunday, but that Saturday I had it in my head that it was Sunday. So again, I kept like reflexively (laughs) opening transistor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, seriously, a really great job on those episodes. And, and again, thank you to you and friend Daniel and Amity for, for doing this and yeah. uh, helping out.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Well, if you downloaded this episode, you know that we are going to be talking about season one, episode one of Hawkeye. And, you know, every time we start a new season of the Disney Plus shows, it's always... Fun to reiterate what we do here for any potential new listeners. So, the way that we're going to handle this is every episode this season, we are going to have some pre spoiler thoughts, which is a place for us to discuss the episode without getting into spoilers. So, if you're not quite caught up yet, this is a place for you to get a taste of the episode free of spoilers. After we go through those, you'll hear an audio cue, which will bring us into the spoiler zone, and it'll be fair game for all spoilers once we get there. And the other thing I wanted to make note for those who have been listening, we are now past the Shang-Chi threshold. It is now part of the spoiler zone, so any potential discussions may involve that as well. Uh, so,
1: and again, for new listeners, the threshold uh, for the for those movies, so Eternals is still in the spoiler Um Free area, uh, mainly because we're waiting for our, these the movies to hit Disney Plus streaming.
0: So the way that we handle that is people have a week after. Oh, oh they have a week to watch it once it hits Disney Plus, and that's when we'll be uh, in the spoiler zone.
1: Yeah, and I would say one last thing to new listeners: We're a show like this on Di- Hawkeye um, because of you know being Thanksgiving, having two episodes, we probably won't start this full on until about episode three although previous listeners you know 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 how we do it we also will read first reaction responses to episodes that we get out of social media when you reply to our pre-spoiler thoughts so if you want to hear your pre-spoiler thoughts at the end make sure to interact on that end and be on the lookout for the polls again to vote on episode titles
0: Yeah. So it's going to be a little bit weird this week just because we have two episodes dropping. Uh, But yeah, good call on that. That will go back to a regular schedule next week. So with all of that being said, buckle in. We're going to dive into some Hawkeye. Season one, episode one, Never Meet Your Heroes. So Jude, what are your pre-spoiler thoughts for this first episode?
1: My pre-spoiler thoughts. I'm going to start by reading what I sent you. And it's not a hard text to find because I used the spoiler ink. <laughs> so, because I didn't know if you'd read if you'd seen it yet. Um, being Thanksgiving is kind of weird. Our routine of when we watch episodes have been thrown off a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, for those of you who didn't get to see my response on social media, I'm going to start with that. Hawkeye was a well-paced. I'm sorry, it was a well-paced blend, tonally, of Netflix's Daredevil in the MCU. Yet, I already catch myself dreading. That'll be two episodes too short, um, and and that's kind of a holdover for some of the other Disney Plus shows, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and just kind of wanting just that two more episodes to kind of really uh, give them some room to breathe and and do this st- and and tell not not that they were bad stories, but to tell their story. Uh, otherwise, like I, I really really enjoyed these these. Um, I think the biggest compliment I can give is wishing I could see episode three right
0: away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I feel that.
1: Yeah. And you, pre-spoiler thoughts.
0: Yeah, playing, I'll I'll follow suit here and read the pre-spoiler thought that I shared on social media with the caveat being that part of mine does pertain to episode two, but I'll reiterate that once we get to the second episode coverage. But, you know, I had this feeling that there's a clunkiness to the episodes, but there's also sincerity and charm that more than makes up for it. Uh, In episode two, there's a particular topic about branding that makes me feel like the clunkiness that I'm feeling may be by design. So I am looking forward to more and looking forward to explaining some of my feelings on that once we get into the spoiler zone. And, And as far as that feeling of wanting episode three, I think they've done a really good job of wanting to jump you into the next episode. Because even the way this one ends is a great lead in for what we get into in episode two. So Mm -hmm. there, this feels like one of the complaints I had about Falcon and the Winter Soldier was the, this feels like a movie that's been cut up less so of a series. And this feels like a written for TV show. So yes, yes. It it feels good in that. It feels natural in that segment.
1: Yeah. Well, I believe this is the first one where we've had multiple directors.
0: Oh, see, I didn't even pay attention to that. That's great.
1: See, I think, I think Moon Knight is going to have multiple directors, but I think this had multiple, multiple directors, like your typical TV show showrunner, multiple directors and the other three have not.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good to know. And, and one more point on my pre-spoiler thoughts. Uh, I think another nice thing about this episode is how it unites Kate and Clint through the lens of hero admiration and what that experience is like for the both of them. So another thing that I'm looking forward to uh, getting into in the spoiler zone. Yeah. Well, unless we got any more, I think we can go ahead and jump in. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Like we said, you're going to hear an audio cue. And on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So... Another way that we do this is once we're into the spoiler zone, we're going to be breaking the episode down into the most important topics. This is a way for us to kind of parse through the episode while not necessarily going scene by scene, but hitting the highest points and branching off wherever we need to. So the first point I want to make is I'm so happy to be able to do the most important topics again after taking a break from what if with that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just it was so fun to sit down and try and, and break this episode down that way. And the second point being the most important topic we're going to start with now is simply Kate Bishop. So this will be the section for us to discuss the way they've introduced this character and how she has proceeded through this episode in her standalone scenes. So Jude, where would you like to start within this section?
1: Um I'm got kind of distracted and I'm going to start somewhere completely different and I'll come back. Uh <laughs> no, I just I, I said the thing about the directors and I just wanted to check. It is um the, the same director for the first two episodes, and okay. this director, it looks like he's doing episode six, and there's another director doing the other, basically, so episode one and two and six have the same director. Okay. And then the bookend of three, four, and five will have the same director. So it's only two directors. Okay. And, and they're split That's between that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I was going to save this for stray thoughts, but I'll throw this in here while we're here at the top. Did you notice this? I think is the first time we saw a Kevin Feige production. I didn't notice that. I think it's the first time. I've never seen it before, but it definitely stood out to me during this one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't notice that. You know, it's um, good
0: he's finally getting some recognition.
1: Yeah, he's just. <laughs> I, you know what? He's it, part of our listener base, right? Kevin Feige's super fan. <laughs> he needs the recognition. That the rest of them get, right? Mm-hmm. Well-deserved recognition. Uh, now, so to jump back on the topic, um, I loved the first, well, uh, okay, so I had some weird things with Kate's first sequence, but the sequence where we have the older Kate, right? Where she's shooting off the arrow at the bell tower, clock tower. Yeah. Okay. That sequence, I really, really loved. How so? It was one of those things that I felt like, to go back to our devil, daredevil days, I feel like it was very economical. Like we learned a lot about Kate Bishop right there. This went to pick the lock, but couldn't, and but was able to climb the, belt, the building, right? Um, we, we found very quickly, like, okay, she's fearless. Um, she's accomplished with a bow, uh, willing to take risks. You know, and so and so, those first few moments, we learned a lot of this character, uh, which is again subtle things of just actions of picking the lock. So it's like, okay, you know what you're doing, but even though you didn't do it, you're you know that wasn't going to stop you. Uh, so that that's one thing I really liked about this character, yeah. or and how they showed us this character in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you in the ways that this episode has been economical. You know, I I keep coming back to this feeling of clunkiness. I will play off of what you said, but I want to establish this first. Based on that scene of her climbing the building, she definitely should have just been admiring Scott Lang, I think, a little more than Hawkeye, because she climbed up just as fast as he did in the first (laughs) Ant-Man movie. (laughs) And to go to bat for her, if the bell and that tower is destroyed from one arrow, I don't think that's on her. OSHA needs to get involved here with this school and what's going on with this building.
1: (laughs) Hmm. I want to say you're wrong, (laughs) but but honestly, I don't know if I can. Right? Like one. It does. You're right. It does feel like one big strong gust of wind. Yeah, moves that thing. And if we wouldn't, but see, at that point, at that point, it's an act of God. Right, like, like, and I and I and, and I don't see that like jokingly. It's like the insurance language, you know, storm act of God kind of thing uh. <laughs> versus like a person doing it. Um, mm-hmm. It's very different.
0: And if we went to get technical, technically, two arrows. She hit the bell and then she hit the draw Yeah, but well, and maybe that know. was a
1: safety cord, and she cut the cord. And
0: mm. <laughs> I don't know. I just went it on the record. I am going to bat for Kate Bishop here. All right. But uh, no, going. Getting back on topic, you know, you you brought up being economical. There is a scene later on where Kate is speaking to her mother Eleanor, and they're talking about going to the charity event, and it's this playful back and forth between Eleanor being the mother role and also being the "I'm your friend" role. And there's a line where Kate says something like. You know, I I got to Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's the mother. Eleanor says you got your black belt at 18 and or 15. And that felt like it stood out a little bit. The way they demonstrate characterization better is in the subtlety of the mom saying like, OK, well, you just go put on that red dress and meet me at the event. Next scene, we see she's in that black suit. That, I think, speaks more to Kate's character than some of those clunky lines that they're throwing into, which I can use to circle us back to the very beginning of the episode with the... And I'll cut them some slack because child actors, you know, there's a range of of skill there, but, you know, they're they're trying. There was a scene where young Kate was like, I need a bow and arrow. And there was something about that line that just stood out to me too of like, okay, I don't know if um this is... Working for me, but I, I'm giving it a, a long runway, if that makes sense.
1: No, no, no. That I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, the whole setup for her character was interesting. Um, y- you know, like, like I get it. You're that little kid, and you witness this event, and you see this person fighting, right? And and that becomes your hero, right? Like, I want to yeah. be that person. So, so, I get that, and. And so, for me, the whole "I want a bow and arrow" didn't. I want a bow and arrow. That whole line made sense. I think the time and place at Dad's funeral was weird. If if that makes sense, like
0: that's the clunk.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's your yeah, and that I can totally get because there's an element of well, if you add an extra scene for just that line elsewhere you get some more character development but you're eating into runtime it is more efficient just to find a way to do it here Mm -hmm. you know and so i get that the in the choices um so yeah so i don't know it goes back and forth i I just found it interesting though that whole sequence i honestly that whole not being able to find her parents i thought was weird because in my head that's going on i'm like where are my kids you know uh I'm I'm like immediately where are my kids we're looking for the kids kind kind of thing and so not being able to find the parents I thought was weird um and the first watch I was really expecting Kate to wake up from a dream or in like or like in some therapy session recalling childhood memories um and and that's okay that that didn't happen and this next thought is a larger episode thought but but you know the 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 going back to this moment and what that means for the universe on whole, I th- I think is is something worth exploring. Um, in a, in another topic episode. Mm-hmm. So okay,
0: you know I I do want to say something positive because I feel like I am being a little critical of the twenty twelve perspective. Something I really enjoyed is the way you know they they put the 2012 timestamp at the very beginning of that episode so you immediately will connect that to the avengers but i thought they did a pretty good job of taking away that fear that i have and really enveloping the family life. Like by the time, like I had almost forgotten about it until we see the Chitauri fly by the window. And I thought they did a very good job of making you feel that sense of security and then ripping it out from under you in such a short time frame. But the thing that I want to put the most praise on is the interaction between Kate and her dad was full of sincerity that echoes the way Clint treated Wanda in Age of Ultron, where they have that famous scene where Hawkeye says, like, if you step out that door, you're an Avenger. And essentially mimicking what Kate's dad says about the only thing we control is the choices we make in the face of uncertainty. So I thought... If these are characters that are going to be linked up together, it is very wonderful that the foundation for which Kate stands on is that the choices we make in the face of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's primed to pair her with Clint.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good uh, catch there. Um, I There's a review I, I didn't read because I wanted to do this first. I want to go back to it. And it mentioned um, Hawkeye superpower who's being a dad. And that was Mm -hmm. the headline. I was like, Oh, that looks fascinating. I want to read that. Um, I haven't read it yet, but, but that reminds me of you start that relationship they built with Wanda, the relation, the, the, the dad relationship, or as my oldest would say, Oh, it's another MCU, another dad show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that was their first reaction at the start of Shang Chi. Uh, Like, like who is that? It's like, well, that's his dad. Oh, here Uh, we go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, but like that's, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's a good catch though. Like, like you have that, uh, that drive and that memory. Um, and it's kind of fitting, you know, the title uh, of the show, never meet your heroes. Right. Yeah. Um, cause you, you, um, God, I'm going to get off topic for just a moment. Same thing with Miss Marvel. I'm curious to what they do. Cause in the comic, she's a superhero fan, loves Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers and has a moment in the comic. Where it's like, I built up Carol Danvers to be this, and I finally get to meet them. And it's like, oh, you're a human. You have human problems. You're not just a superhero. Uh, and, and so I, and I, and it's interesting that that build up of like, that they're doing with a lot of different characters towards Clint, but Kate in particular of building Hawkeye, Clint into this. And he's just like, dude, I just, you mess things up for me. I want to go to my family.
0: <laughs> you know i want to add one more thing uh by circling back towards kate and eleanor i I really enjoy their dynamic i talked about it a little bit where it feels like eleanor who is played by uh vera firminga who is an incredible actor uh she has a great job of going between the i'm your mother but i can also be your friend role like not in a way that feels patronizing and really feels like us a flip back and forth as needed for whatever moment has come forward and in particular, the line that I really enjoyed was about how young people and rich people both feel invincible and you have been both your entire life. I haven't, you're not invincible. I thought that was a really good way to kind of put Kate in her place in such a firm manner. And I thought that was really well done.
1: Yeah, I really liked that, especially because it was a payoff moment for something that happened within the opening seconds. You know, they're, they're talking about when I say they, uh, Kate's parents back in 2012 over the argument is over money and she wants to sell the penthouse. And and it's clear through that argument that they can't struggling with finances, not being able to afford it. And so that line, I think of now, don't get me wrong. Like prices of New York and the place that they had makes me wonder what kind of money struggles they had Mm -hmm. just because, like like was it nefarious in other words that, you know what i mean J- just cuz like be, you know reality they had a really big house you know and but it it's did. like
0: we got to sell the penthouse here's my tiny violin
1: <laughs> yeah um but it but it did kind of clue me in of like okay you know this character showed up maybe is it something nefarious that they're we got to get out of this um but that whole issue of money wanting to sell the penthouse um, I think that that this moment here of saying, hey, I have not always been rich was a payoff from this, you know, and just mm-hmm. kind of her drive to, to have these things and to have a certain life coming off of those events of 2012 and that argument.
0: Yeah. It's very grounding yes. for, for all the characters involved. Yes. And the final thing I want to say about the relationship, we have a moment at the charity event where – Armand III, who is as subtle as a brick, drops the news that Eleanor and Jack are engaged. And Kate is incredibly upset about this, and she storms up to her mom. And her mom asks, is there any part of you that could be happy for me? And despite the fact that she's so upset, she puts aside her anger. is like, yes, yes. And, you know, I'm sorry. So even though they're clearly at odds, there's still a strong enough relationship that they can express their dissatisfaction with each other and still move forward. And uh, that feels like a really healthy relationship.
1: Yeah, kind of. Okay. (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, I mean, there is an element of like... That's not the best way to find out your mom's engaged.
0: Nope. And it's not the best way to handle it either. The way Kate storms up. But they work through
1: it. They they work through it in the moment. You're right. (laughs) So we'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I got some predictions that will make this seem obsolete by the time we get to it. (laughs) So we'll see. Oh, man. Well, I I think that's going to do it for our Kate Bishop section. So, uh... I'm going to go ahead and move us into the next most important topic, which is Clint Barton, the titular character himself. This section is going to be to describe all his scenes, the characterizations that they're doing with him here, specifically with his trips to the Rogers musical, uh, his scenes with his family and eventually getting wrapped up in the mess of the suit. So starting with me this time. I think the clear place to start is the musical. Man, <laughs> what a disturbing and uncanny depiction of the events of the, the 2012 movie. And it's such a weird contrast, which, I mean, it's for effect, but it's such a weird contrast in the way the episode opens up in 2012 and we see the harsh realities of what Kate has experienced. And then we come to the present and somebody who was there with Clint is having to relive this through... It's not it's not even disrespectful, it's just tasteless, I guess is the word I'm looking for. But when I think about it, in essence, the audience in that room is no different than us and the entertainment value that they got from from these quote unquote real events, but it's a wild perspective to be pushed out of that once you're sitting there with Hawkeye watching this, if that makes sense.
1: Okay. How many years removed is this musical? from those events
0: uh it was 2012 and it's yeah oh in world is 2012 and they're at 2024 now okay so math
1: well that's 10 23 years yeah um the movie world trade center came out in 2006
0: yeah yeah
1: i know so and and somebody and what when did united 93 come out
0: Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, th- apparently, there is a, a musical about 9/11 too, which it's not necessarily strictly about 9/11, but it's a big framing device for that musical. Yeah,
1: both of both of those, United 93 and World Trade Center, came out in 2006.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, it, it's just you're right, and it's interesting commentary. I think of like what we do with media, what is appropriate time. You know, I mean, because the destruction of that and the uh, of that incident, putting ourselves in world, how far remove until you start doing what cultures do. You tell your stories of heroes, you memorialize them, you know, mm-hmm. um, in in various ways. And so, you know, especially with the Sokovia Accords, and you know, staying in world, and there's this whole, you know. Is there a pushback? Is there not? And so that I find really fascinating. Um, What I do like that they did with this was they were able to, with sound, show how Barton was feeling. Yeah. And, you know, and have this, because you think like he's having like this PTSD moment watching this. And he kind of is, but he's also tuning it out literally you know, and have this ridiculousness. And so I, I just loved how they, how they did that, you know, and how he's like, that guy wasn't even there. Like, Ant-Man. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's funny because he's the one that got Ant-Man and brought him to Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, he he would not know he, for sure. He wasn't even there. And you
0: know, you know, that's a detail that would be stretched for a dramatization just to make it fit to get as many people in there as you could.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah.
0: But, you know, and I want to highlight, you talked about how they used sound to show us where Clint Barton is emotionally. Even the way they get us there textually, the song has a line where it says like, and with Ant-Man, you won't hear a sound and it's, it fades out on that part. And that's where we get the revelation that Clint has turned off his earpiece. And yeah, it's, it's really well done. And, And another thing they're doing here, not only in the sense of... This is a tragedy that has been turned into a play and here is somebody who was there having to relive it through this fantastical depiction. He's having to face seeing Natasha and Mm -hmm. seeing this little girl that's dressed up like her, seeing her dance on the, the stage from the actor. And it's it's hard, man. It's it's so good at communicating what Clint can't because he is calloused and hiding I think, what he's actually feeling from the outside.
1: Well, he has all those layers and protection to get to his heart. Yeah. Because he has poor branding. Um, (laughs) No, like what what it really reminded me of was Avatar The Last Airbender when they're hiding out on Ember Island and they go watch the Ember Island players, the third to last episode, I think, of the entire series. And they're watching the Ember Island players do a play Of them, and they're like, That's not what I look like, is it? I don't act this way, do I? And then they're like, The play must be over. They caught up to where we are now, and it keeps going. And it shows, you know, what the screenwriters I'm going to say this because I don't want to spoil this. It's because it's one of the best episodes of the series. And that's saying something because the last Avatar, The Last Airbender is a fantastic series. Actually, I'm just going to go out on that limb. I think it's the best cartoon period cartoon series Whoa. period um, now what if oh man that's tough keep going keep going oh, that's tough <laughs> but we haven't seen what if come to its completion and no what if mm. can never come to its completion because it's a multiverse um, right you know so at least and Avatar never Last <laughs> Airbender is in a contained space um, but yeah like it, it's just and you see those characters kind of seeing themselves
0: and they're just like what so yeah this was reminded me a lot of that That's a really good call. Yeah. And it's different because I think from what I remember, that one was played more for comedic effect. I know there is meaning to be derived from it, but it is more humorous. And this one I think was used to show where Clint's at, but I'm so glad you made that connection.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, this is Disney plus and MCU, PG-13. You know, the other one was a Nickelodeon show Uh with a demographic of kids. Although if you watch it, they did a really good job of tackling some things for a kid show.
0: Mm -hmm. So I have one more question about the musical. Why did they go? Like who was the driving force for them going to that musical? Because it didn't seem like the kids were all that interested. Clearly Clint was not in the right headspace. That seemed like an interesting choice on the Bartons family.
1: I think it was one of those things where it's like, we're in New York. We're doing New York things as tourists at Christmas time what do you do? You go see a musical. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not familiar enough with New York. So we'll have to ask around. It felt off Broadway rather than actually on Broadway. I don't know, you know, in terms of like musical house and theater house and stuff, uh, just looking at the setting, but I don't know enough to like recognize like what they were trying to, to show. Cause I, I think of the theater, musical theater world that that actually makes a difference you know, in, okay. in terms of prestige and stuff again, I'm way out of my depth here. Um, <laughs> but that's to my very vague knowledge of, of, of that. Uh, so I would have to ask around and check cause it, cause it does, it, it, it would convey a, a particular, uh, message as well, depending on where it's at, uh, that mm-hmm. I just don't know. But I, but that's my guess is they're doing the touristy New York thing.
0: I gotcha. That make, and that makes sense because they even have that like, all right, we're in New York. It's Christmas. What do you want to do? Hey, let's go see the Christmas tree. And so like they are checking off lists of things to do together as a family.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what Christmas is, right? It's a list of things to do and you check them off.
0: Yeah. That is a very terrible oh. way to look at Christmas. but... I was about to say, you know, it's a little divorced from the emotion and the the, <laughs> the sincerity, but I get it in essence. That's what it is. <laughs> <sighs>
1: oh,
0: man. You know, I want to say I love the Barton family so much. Like, I, you, you know, you brought up Christmas earlier movies. that. What are you? Okay, never mind. Well, they all are the same, pretty much. Yeah, all things they suck. are. We have
1: Christmas. They are. It's a wonderful life. How the Grinch Stole Christmas
0: and Die Hard. Exactly the same stuff. Well, Die Hard is the exception. <laughs> it's like everything sucks. Oh, we found our holiday spirit. Everything's better. So
1: Die Hard does follow the Christmas formula. See.
0: <laughs> Terrorists take over Nakatomi
1: Plaza. Everything sucks. John McLean with the with the M. Ho, 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 M-, ho, M- now M- I have 9. Gun.
0: <laughs> everything's better. <laughs> That's American style. <laughs> Oh man, we got to do a Christmas Day theme somehow. No kidding. <laughs> oh man, I don't know if you heard my point. I just wanted to say I'm so glad you brought up that the title of that review was Hawkeye superpowers being a dad. I think Jeremy Renner does such a great job of creating that loving father persona. He mm-hmm. he has created a family unit that is believable on the screen. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. The larping scene was fantastic. Wait,
0: that's episode 2. That's episode 2. Dang it. Okay. That's fine. Hey, th- this is what in the business we call a tease. Stick around for our next episode. Yes. But if you, if you want to make your point, go ahead. I mean, at no, this no, point no. I think both I, people- I, I'm going to hang on to it. That's a tease. Uh, okay. You'll All find right.
1: you'll find episode 2 in your feed. <laughs>
0: You know, with, with all that being said, now that we have detailed the characterization of Kate Bishop, the characterization of Clint Barton, that's going to bring us into our next most important topic, which is hero admiration. There is a theme within this episode where we're seeing a theme between these two characters in the way that they have experienced hero admiration. So we want to take this time in this section to detail that. So, Jude, is there anywhere you'd like to start in this section?
1: Yes, yes. I found it interesting the contrast between Hawkeye and Falcon of the Winter Soldier, both textually and extra textual. How so? Whereas in text, Falcon of the Winter Soldier, Sam couldn't get alone, but Barton has like his expensive meal paid for for saving the city. And so in MCU world, those are two very different reactions to two Avengers. And extra extratextual, how the showrunners and writers decided to portray those characters. Like, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we're going to take the route of, yeah, I don't care that you're a hero. We're real world's real world. And let's play up. Uh, play up's not the right word, but let's tackle or just be honest about race and ramifications. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this is a portrayal of this hero admiration in this from from a city for being part of this um, the 2012 attack on New York, and so I thought it was really interesting that, that to to have those two to kind of contrast those two.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. It makes me wonder if it was intentional or not, like if there was any coordination between creative teams in the way that they have depicted these scenes, because it does say a lot about the troubles that Sam faced in trying to get that loan and how far the status of his his Avenger status got him versus what we see happen here with Hawkeye um, repeatedly within this episode. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer about that, but it, they are saying a lot, intentional or not. Right. Well,
1: and you have an element of Sam not enjoying it, but like he enjoyed it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm Hawkeye. Just a little bird flap with his hand, no, not Hawkeye, um, Falcon, they both birds, but <laughs> 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 you know, and he does a little hand flap with his hand, but like, but like there's an element of him embracing it. Um, mm-hmm. whereas like Clint is and Hawkeye is really just trying to be like, no, like I, you don't have to do this. And, and, and I don't want to say humble and arrogant cause I don't think Sam was arrogant about it in any way. You know, I think it was like, and honestly, I think it was this weird, um, space of this, a good space, but a weird space of this proper pride, right? Like, like I'm mm-hmm. not being arrogant, but I'm not being humble. Yeah. Cause I did that. Y- you know what I mean? Um, whereas Clinch just like, no, it's a day. It's a day at the office. Leave me alone. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, so it's two very different ways to portray that, uh, from a character standpoint. Um, and I, and I think it's fine. Right. And they're different characters are going to handle it differently. So that's mm. why I say like textually it's interesting, but I found it more interesting of how the, the outside world treating an Avenger, you know, and, and that has, that's a conscious choice on the writers and showrunners. And you know what? I get that. Like you run into an Avenger and you want a selfie, uh-huh. but celebrities have been around a long time before the Avenger showed up asking someone for a selfie at the ur- a urinal, like that should you should just know that that's that's not what
0: you do so this obviously this is not my story but i am a big fan of rooster teeth one of the podcast hosts one it's an internet celebrity gus sarola 100% had this experience he talked about somebody following him into the bathroom asking for a photo or a signature or something and how creeped out he was by that so this happens and it's so weird yeah, So, so weird.
1: The The last time I did
0: something like that
1: was, it was really weird.
0: Um, you really got to set this up quicker because you can't just say the last time I did that after setting up, going into the bathroom, asking somebody for an autograph. Yeah. No, it, it just dawned <laughs> on
1: me as I said that. The last time I did something like that, that meaning approaching a celebrity. Uh-huh. Um, what, what made it awkward, 100% what made it awkward was it's the summer of like like we're talking july maybe august somewhere in there of 2020 so when you when you think about covid and where we're at i'm out in public and i get the opportunity to meet this person and i'm just like do i say something do i not i'm wearing a mask he's not like you know what i mean and so yeah so that's what one of the things that made it awkward now i'm 100% honest like I was like, yeah, COVID be damned. I'm gonna go up and ask him to shake his hand. Um, not gonna go into the complete details why, but but and and I had my my reasons where it was just like, okay, so I'm gonna do this anyways. Um, but it was. It was awkward. It was just like even in the normal just stores, like you're here shopping, I happen to walk into the right store at the right time. Yeah, you know.
0: Can you say who it was or no? Were you trying to dance around that?
1: Um, I will say this because I, I think I think if I say who it was, it might be a little too much locationy. Okay, uh, things, but I will say it was a 1970s cowboy, Dallas cowboy.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So I'll say that. Okay, that's fine. I won't prod. Did I ever tell you about where I learned to swear off ever asking to meet somebody I admire as a celebrity? No. I got God, this is embarrassing. I got the chance to meet Dan Harmon. Oh, okay. You told me about this, but our listeners should
1: know. Our listeners should know. Oh,
0: God. So I had the chance to meet him. He did a show in Houston for his podcast called Harmontown. And it was just after... God, this gets so much worse. It was just after I had completed a a, a script <laughs> that I was writing. And the whole reason I had like the inspiration to continue it was because of community and finding his, his uh, books on writing where he basically distilled the hero's journey into an even simplified form. So it, he was a huge inspiration. And so as he was finishing the show, he was standing to the side getting autographs and pictures and whatnot. And I got in line and I had that script with me was not going to give it to him. I just wanted him to sign it as like, you know, and say, Hey, like, thanks for, for being you without you. I never would have finished this. And this means a lot to me, even if it goes nowhere. What happened is I got up there and I was so nervous and I was like, I love you and I'm nothing without you. And there was just this really awkward, awkward feeling. And he took the script and he wrote nice title, psych. Dan Harmon, and I was just like dead
1: for weeks. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, if something like that happens in any of his stuff since then, Uh, you were the inspiration for that scene.
0: uh, (laughs) I got to find the picture of that script and take a picture of it because I just have nice title, Psych Dan Harmon. Yes, please do that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so no, I will, oh, I will man. say this.
1: It was, it was a couple of weeks after my stepdad had passed away and my stepdad was a huge fan of this person. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I, I have to ask, you know, uh, to just say, hi, I recognize you, shake your hand, you know, um, cause yeah. it was just, the timing was, was just, just right. If that, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, um, and then awkwardly, again, I work in a private school, so there's like parents of like famous kids locally or like, not the kids aren't famous, but like their parents are locally that go there and like parent teacher conference comes around and, and there's an element of like, you're famous, great, but the kid needs to turn in his work. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you see him on a level of like, like you're used to seeing him as a celebrity, but you see him on a level of like. I have to have a parent teacher conference with this person.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: like their kid, but the kid won't turn in work. Um, it makes it so much easier when their kid does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: this it's the example of the the rich and the young thinking they're invincible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, so yeah.
0: Oh man.
1: You know, now, in fairness, it's not difficult to separate, like in the classroom. Yeah. Completely not you're difficult. Professional. Uh well, not even that. You know, I mean, there's an element of um I, I don't want to get too far off track here, but there is an element of like, even with the kids, you know, even, even with the not kids with the non famous parents, if that makes sense, that have like an older sibling that comes through the school. It's like, I try to make the separation of like, you're your own person. You're not in your sibling shadow, you know? Yeah. And so I might ask once in the first day, Oh, you related to this person. How are they doing in college? You know? Um, cause I teach upperclassmen and after that I'm like, I let it go. Um, yeah, but there's so many times that like I didn't even know that kid's parents were like a celebrity until parent teacher conference they come, like literally one time I was like, oh dude, look he's walking around, and like 20 minutes later he's coming in I was like, oh, I didn't put together the child's last name for the same, <laughs> like I had uh-huh. no idea. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it's it's not actually hard to do, um, and but again there's this weird awkwardness there too. So. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, speaking of the weird awkwardness, I I want to circle back to the episode where I can detail the core of what I like about Clint and Kate's dynamic so far. You know, we've detailed the awkwardness that came from the fan who wanted the um, the autograph in the or the selfie in the bathroom. We talked about how Clint was trying to have a normal family dinner and he couldn't even get away from it. There, it's such an interesting dynamic that we see the flip side of that where Kate was inspired by Hawkeye's actions in a more sincere way. There's not novelty to it in a way, which I'll cut some slack to the waiter. Maybe it's just a a restaurant that wants to do like, hey, you know, you saved our city. Thanks. But there's a novelty, I think, with the person who just wants the selfie, because at the end of the day, you know, what's it's just proof that you saw that person. But for Kate, it is real inspiration. And what Clint is wrestling with here is that the legend has outshined the reality, which is always a very interesting place, I think, for the heroes to play in, just like on a meta level, and that is the defense mechanism that is keeping Kate at bay from Clint, or Clint keeping Kate at bay, I should say. That's a better way to phrase that. And so that's just such a great dynamic for them to work together through.
1: Yeah, so with Miss Marvel, I just want to, I know this is Trust me, this isn't off-topic. Uh, there's a YouTube channel that I really like a lot called NerdSync. Um, and he has this thing on Ms. Marvel that... And the Ms. Marvel comic's fantastic. And I like seeing the MCU's playing with this in in this space with Clint. Um, and again, like a little bit with Sam, where he has this whole video on Ms. Marvel and parasocial relationships. This idea that you... Have a relationship with somebody you don't know, through that interaction, through interaction through social media, or just simply watching them. Um, some parasocial relationships, uh, like watching them on YouTube or watching them through movies and interviews. Like Dan like, Harmon, you know, well, like like some kind of content, and you feel like you know them. Um, it, it works for like Gandalf, right? Like I read these books over and over and I feel like Gandalf's my mentor or Dumbledore's my mentor, Sirius Black, Obi-Wan. Like insert that there. And it can be a healthy thing, this escapism, right? And having that that parasocial type relationship. Um, but it can also be unhealthy in, in some ways when it's a real life person and then you get to meet them because you've been you've built them up. And like that that's one of the things that Miss Marvel uh Kamala Khan does and wrestles with in the comic as a fan of superheroes. And so I really like and and I can give you the link so we make sure that's in the show notes it's a really good video but I like that um that's what they're wrestling with right you have these elements of like and I wasn't trying to call out the waiter or the restaurant owner because there's an element of like this is your business you did this for the city on the house like I get that that's pretty that's pretty appropriate but then you have the other reaction of Oh my gosh, it's you. Let me take a selfie. Ki- kind of thing. Um
0: we're definitely calling that out.
1: Yeah, and, and but but they showed both ends, like the more subtle kind of hey, you saved the city and my business. Thank you. You know, to the like cool fanboy moment that like I might get caught up in if I, you know, it's like, "Oh my gosh, you're Paul Rudd." You know, take a take a mm-hmm. screenshot. The sexiest man alive apparently. At the time of this recording, <laughs> according to Time Magazine,
0: so yeah, let's make sure we um, get that so we're, we're concurrent.
1: Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, like he might have that kind of reaction, um, you know. And, and so I like that they gave us both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, for so you'd be Chris Evans. Oh,
0: Oh, one hundred percent. That I might break my rule for Captain America. So yeah. Steve, without you. I'm I, I
1: was. I was. I was. Say. I was saving this for straight thoughts. But I'm just gonna say it right now. I really want to see a live reaction video of Chris Evans watching that musical number.
0: Yes, that has to happen, right? No, that has I think to. He's, he's probably distancing distancing himself from the MCU for the time being. At Chris Evans
1: on Twitter, we'll we'll tweet at him.
0: <laughs> we just talked about parasocial relationships. <laughs> oh man that was a a doozy well
1: well, you know what you're right I don't know Chris I'll get in touch with Kevin
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's who we'll talk to (laughs) I'll mention it in the Christmas card well I think that's gonna wrap up the hero admiration section which is going to bring us to our last most important topic which is The auction. So this is going to really detail everything going on with the black market auction, the ensuing action set pieces through the discovery of Armand's death and the end of the episode where Clint and Kate finally meet up. So starting with me this time, I just really wanted to highlight how resourceful Kate is, especially as somebody like they did such a great job of showing... Well, they did it through the opening title credits where they showed her through all those training montages, all the trophies she was winning, all the things that she's been doing since she was a little girl. She is somebody that has trained after being spurned from the 2012 events. So it isn't a surprise that she handles herself so well, both in combat and in stealth, but it is really fun to watch the way that she uses her tuxedo as a a way to blend in with all the other waiters or is able to, to... stay cool in the moment and flip the distraction onto people who have caught her. So for example, whenever she gets caught by Gary and she's like, that's the problem, Gary, I quit. And she just walks away. She's (laughs) such a great, great character in this MCU.
1: It's so resourceful. It's like, yeah, it's, that's another sequence where we learned a lot. And, and and it's interesting because, because you have that, the typical shot of like in the beginning of like, Oh, here's all your trophies and here's your other medal, And, 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 and how the medal was meaningless. You know, it's like, look, here's another one. And the younger ones is the one that, that she was really proud of. And that one scene where she came home from college, but, but that sequence was great because they showed the resourcefulness of being able to get back there. This, that's the problem, Gary. You don't even know my name. Um, it, Like you can just see that, like, it wasn't just like like the training. She was self-training, but it was really to be an Avenger. It wasn't just like, I want to know how to shoot a bow and arrow or I want to do this. Like, it, like it, it was actual like something she was able to put to use, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it. It isn't just these are interests she has. She has this feeling. I need to protect the people I love. Like that was her origin story at the beginning opening sequence. And it's on display now. And the sequence was fantastic.
1: Like they had Carol of the Bells playing in the background, so you still have that Christmas feeling and holiday feel, but Carol of the Bells and that version they were playing of it gave it this sense of tension and suspense as well. Yeah. As she was following her Um, the third. And
0: that's important. Know,
1: yeah. Well, we gotta keep I was wondering if it's if that was like Armand the Third is Trey. Yeah. What do we call Armand on the 7th? I mean clearly in their family it's just Armand. <laughs> but is it like anyways, um I'm just just anyways. I'm just curious. I
0: I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out what do you call the 7th? Enough? Right? Enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Enough.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Okay, so yeah, um, that sequence was I really, got you really on the good. <laughs> you did. Oh
0: man. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead.
1: No, I I mean it, the sequence was really good. We learned more about Kate. Her we're able to see that the training was able to put into some kind of action. uh We get to see how capable she is. Um, you know, and. And to be honest, like, oh, this whole episode, and I can see why they, they, they dropped two in the same, it was, was a lot of setup at this Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. You know, I I mean, both in establishing who these characters are individually and where they're at, but also stuff that, you know, well, we hope is going to be paid off in the next four episodes.
0: Mm -hmm. So, you know, shifting gears here in this auction section, I don't know if we're, I'm Maybe you have some speculations, but we don't have enough textual evidence. But where do you think they're getting this stuff for the auction? Because it's some pretty, like, was there no one guarding the Avengers compound after Endgame? Because that's some pretty high classified stuff. You had the Ronin suit, you had the sword, and you had the watch, which is from the Avengers compound as well. I didn't. I got this from Reddit. People were speculating that maybe it was Tony's watch, I think from Civil War that he used to defend himself against Bucky. How are they getting a hold of all of this?
1: That's interesting. I didn't think of the watch because one of my notes was who's doing the robbery. I don't think that's clear yet. They were looking for a watch. What watch? But also, in particular, my thought, my. Seriously, I'm just going to read from my note that talking about the sword and Ronin suit, that should have been with the Department of Damage Control. So who did this auction? And like like you said, how'd they get their hands on it? Was this like an inside job? Because as far as I understand, you know, this Department of Damage Control, that wreckage stuff should have went to them.
0: Right. Somebody's you know, and, dealing under the table.
1: And what's this skull? Yeah. Like, I just, I just took the skull. Like, the watch has to be something because you specifically hear the dialogue and they were breaking into this. So... I'm really hoping that it was something and not just a momentarily MacGuffin just to show off her skills. Right. And, uh, and to set off the, the quest of, of getting the the suit back, um, which it was interesting because it was all about the suit. Barton didn't know about the sword.
0: Oh yeah. I forgot about the sword. Yeah,
1: he didn't. He was always looking for the suit. He didn't know about the sword. So I think he's, you know, he will find out about the sword. I'm assuming, but, and so like, I didn't think much about the watch. I just thought it was like, oh, we had some random skull. Why are they looking for the watch? What is the watch? Um, I didn't, but it was very specific dialogue. So that's probably going to mean something later. Um,
0: yeah, I'd imagine.
1: Okay. I have, I have my speculation now on who's doing all this. I got it.
0: Go ahead. Do I do it now or do I wait? It's up to you. I know we're not doing predictions until episode two, but if you want to throw it in now, you can. Dealer's choice. I'm going to do my second tease Oh, for okay. Two of
1: who I think is behind the robbery, or if not the robbery, and not the robbery, actually, let me be clear. Not behind the robbery, but behind who was able to get the stuff for auction.
0: Okay. Well, okay. I just want to clarify. The robbery was the tracksuit mafia. Mm. Because they were saying "bro" a lot before that door opened.
1: See, I didn't, I didn't get that 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 was the tracksuit mafia.
0: And I think one of them lifts the mask, and that's- but Yeah, I
1: guess, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't get that the robbery was from what I saw. The tracksuit mafia, the robbery felt too sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: that's harsh, so that's, bro. I don't
1: think why I, I don't think that that's why I put those two together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, well, we'll get to those teases in the next recording. Uh, circling back, we've got to talk about Armand III's death. All signs, in my opinion, are pointing towards Jack as the killer. But gathering my grains of sand, I don't know if I want to believe it because it feels a little too obvious. Are you out there with me on this sand hill or am I alone? Um... I can lay out my reasonings.
1: It, it's it's definitely a small hill at this point because it's one of those things that I'm not sure if they are misdirecting with the obvious or, again, the problem, I think, of having six episodes versus eight. i have We've seen two of six episodes now. In terms of being economical, we've got to get things moving. Yeah. You know, and so it feels like in obvious assumption so for example one of my notes again i'm going to use this now rather than stray thoughts was for me it wasn't clear um why kate didn't like jack um i know he's creepy and i know we're supposed to to feel that he's creepy but i didn't get it we don't know enough of that relationship that like clearly she knew jack and doesn't approve of this marriage and this person and but i don't know yet like I I've had the point of view of Kate. And so I don't know why, if, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. And so in that sense, like I'm trusting as a viewer, I have to trust Kate and through Kate's eyes, he's suspicious. He likes swords. This person was, um, killed by a sword. And we have the knowledge that, um, Oh, what was they going to say? Uh, oh, the Jack likes swords. Yeah. You know, so, in that sense, like it could be setting us up for a Mr. Lead and Misdirection, or it could be just, hey, what's the most economical way to get through this?
0: It's the power broker problem where, or maybe I shouldn't say problem because it, I guess it did work for some people, but it's where we, we spent the whole scenes like, I don't know, it seems too obvious. And we got to the end, it was like, well, I guess it was the obvious. <laughs> like, right, it, right. sometimes it, it just is that.
1: Yeah. And, and we felt like they missed out on doing some things with a power broker for the sake of the surprise that they didn't hide very well. Yeah. And it, and and it, and it makes you wonder with Jack, like, which is this going to be?
0: Mm-hmm. So I'll lay out my reasoning and I'll play off by what you said about the point of view of Kate. I think it is because of the point of view of Kate that I'm leaning towards Jack, not being as suspicious as they want to want us to believe just because I think the tension is coming from the new stepdad. Um, antagonism that could be fairly or unfairly placed upon him from her perspective. And it almost feels in that Spider-Man homecoming way of like, hey, you know, I got the bad guys. I got to just catch him do this. And then, you know, it's as simple as that. And then he stumbles into the, the ferry and realizes that it was an FBI sting operation. And he just kind of ended up like messing up the whole thing. But he jumped the gun yeah. with his evidence. And that's what it feels like with Kate here. And so the ways in which they are prodding us about jack being the suspect here is you know he makes the joke about the inheritance with armand III. uh there's some very high tension with uh the sword as they're both trying to bid for it and then the the motive with armand III threatening his fiance eleanor that seems like a probable you know cause for wanting to do that but there's one scene, and remember when I said, hold on until I get to some predictions where it may seem like my point about Eleanor's moot. When we see Eleanor and Armand III arguing, we come in when Armand says, I've got powerful friends too, you know. And so what we didn't hear and what I'm assuming is Eleanor was threatening him as well. So, because that That's, seems like a very, yeah, that seems like a response to a threat to me.
1: Yes, so, I, I read that I don't the know. exact same way.
0: So I'm thinking Eleanor is going to be our switcheroo here.
1: Yeah. Well, and and they wanted even there, like you were outside of the room, like you said, you had Kate Bishop's point of view, but even the camera was set up to where you couldn't see them clearly. It was like kind of the door was halfway. Um, and so you were clearly only meant to hear half of a conversation, both like yep. audibly and visually. You only got half of it.
0: Mm hmm. So the last thing I, I want to bring up before we get out of this section is there's a moment after the explosion, after Kate has put on the Ronin suit, where Armand Third and Jack are being held up, I think. And Ronin stumbles in and Jack gets a clear look at the at Ronin, but you can only see their eyes. Do you think Jack recognized Kate in the suit? I'm going to say yes. He did? That makes, and th- and it's funny I'm bringing this up because I just laid out a whole case for why I don't think Jack is going to be as sus- suspect as he is, but it does make it very suspicious if he recognized Kate that eventually he meets up with Eleanor and she asks, where's Kate? And he's like, oh, I don't know. So su- there's, there's a lot of suspicious activity happening in this one scene.
1: Yeah, I...
0: I think I poured water on my own sandcastle. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs>
1: I'm going to say, again, episode two, like these clearly, these episodes go together. There's a moment in episode two that that drives me to say yes.
0: Okay. So. Okay. Well, you know what? With that being said, why don't we go ahead and get into Stray thoughts so we can wrap up this episode and get into episode two. All right. Sounds good. So if you are new to our show, uh, this section is essentially for us to throw out any stray thoughts we had that didn't quite fit into the most important topics. Uh, so Jude, starting with you, what are your stray thoughts?
1: Uh, I do want to say i stray thoughts. I liked the use of the first Avengers footage back in the beginning. Um, clearly noticed the theme when she's watching from the, from the balcony. It wasn't really a balcony. It was a a new balcony, I guess, from the damage. Um,
0: <laughs> it's under renovation. Yeah, but it was uh,
1: the, the whole theme song had hints of Alan Silvestri's Avengers theme, but it was yeah. also different because it was Hawkeye, you know? So, yeah. So I, I, really liked that use there. Um, I thought they did a really good job of subverting expectations from the trailer. Cause in the trailer, we do see the arrow shot, um, to the, to the bell tower and the bell ring and it because of the suit she's wearing and and everything, it feels like at that point, she's already hooked up with Hawkeye as a hero and doing stuff, you know, and that's part of something like a distraction, maybe that they're doing like for the trailer. And so the way they were able to use that in the trailer and make you feel one thing, but do something different with it in the show, I thought was really good. Um, I loved the opening credits. Yeah. I really, it felt very Netflix. It felt Daredevil Netflix and Netflix in general. Because Netflix shows, their opening credits have a particular style um, that are different than other shows on other streaming services, Mm -hmm. I feel like. And uh, this one I just thought was really well done. And I love that the, the graphic art- was very in line with now. I haven't read the Hawkeye comics that this is referring to yet. I really want to, but at this point I will probably finish these episodes before. Um, in fact, Tara has a, uh, TK on, uh, there was an idea, uh, podcast has her review of, of those runs. And I haven't listened to that yet because I want to go ahead and get through the show first. Um, so in four more weeks, um,
0: yeah, yeah, between between TK and Friend Daniel hyping up the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye so highly, I'm 100% going to read it after we finish Hawkeye. Oh,
1: yeah. Same. Same. But I do know stylistically the the graphics really f- stuck with the comic look, and, that, and I'm really pleased by that. Yeah. So that's my stray thoughts. What about you?
0: So uh, starting back at the beginning 2012 perspective, I just want to say this. Kate's dad looks like a cross between Colin Farrell and Steven Seagal. And it's very funny to me. Uh, second stray thought before Clint recognized the suit in that news broadcast where it was like, we have another masked assailant running through New York. Do you think he was like, oh man, here we go. Here's another Avenger. Like, is it just like a dime a dozen for them at this point? to so have another year. At this point. Right.
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah. in Civil War, what is it? Everyone has a gimmick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Uh, another stray thought. This technically breaks our, our spoiler zone territory. I'll cut it out if you, you... You have a chance to veto this, but love that the new Marvel Studios fanfare is the exact same they one they used in Eternals with shots from Shang-Chi. Uh, I think Black Widow is in there as well. Uh, really cool that that has been updated. Um, really enjoyed the nod to... Of course, internet culture where they had the Thanos was right written on the urinal. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Two more. The most unrealistic thing that I have ever seen in the MCU is that Kate was able to type while wearing the uh, Ronin gloves. She typed so flawlessly on that cell phone and the whole time I was like, there's no way. Like even phones that say, oh, it has capacitive touch don't work. (sighs) What I find interesting about what you just said,
1: (laughs) and I think you know what I find interesting about what you just said, is that being the most realistic, unrealistic thing you've ever seen in the MCU, which means, Uh, what? No, go ahead. No, I'm I'm just curious. What was the oh
0: for? No, no. (laughs) I'm never going to escape it, am I? Escape what? (laughs) I'm... I don't
1: understand. I was trying to make a point and you're just like, uh, the truck. Oh, I knew I could get you to say it. So I know I was going to see who was going to break first. <laughs> but yeah, like, like you were so down on the truck moment on his hero moment. I wish you liked uh, I wish you liked Captain America. Um, I do like Captain America. We can't do this. We got new people. This is a chance to act cool. <laughs> <laughs> that you just draw the line on like Sam being a hero. And Kate being able to type with gloves. I get it. I just, I'm trying to figure out how those are the equivalent, but okay. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. Last thought. We need MC, you need to know Butterscotch. Ooh. I'm done. That's (laughs) it. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Usually the way that we handle this is this is where we would read the audience's first take as well. But given that we are doing back-to-back episodes, we're going to go ahead and save all those first reactions for the upcoming episode that is in the feed. We also do predictions for the next episode, but given the two-episode drop, that's not something that we can do here. So instead, I will say, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, you should definitely be following us on social media, where you can reach us at MCU Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it is a great place to get bonus content that does not make the final cut of the episode. So we have in tags. Whatever in tag doesn't get used, we'll put up on there, as well as quicker access to what we thought of the episodes before our Monday episode. So drop. So if any of those are interesting to you, you should definitely give us a follow and help us out there. And of course, to
1: take that a step further, when you're in the show notes, you can click on the link and join our discord, a wonderful community of people and in, interested in all kinds of things, but also in particular, the MCU, when you get there, make sure you click on the role assign channel, click on the eye emoji, and that'll get you access to all the spoiler channels. And of course, Since you're listening to this episode, I'm going to make the assumption you enjoy it if you got to this point. Share that joy holiday season with a friend.
0: Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Judy Booty, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you all next week. I was so <laughs> waiting to drop that ever since I heard it.
1: <laughs> Daniel was like, "I cannot
0: believe you left that in." I uh, know. <laughs> oh man, you have no idea how hard I was struggling to keep a straight face all the way through. That. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so. <sighs>
1: You know what? I got to do what's best for the pod. And it seemed like leaving that in was what was best for the pod.
0: (laughs) Oh, it was definitely good for the pod.
1: Nice. Okay, so I don't have any notes for episode two.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh.
1: I've watched it two and a half times. That third time I was supposed to be taking notes, I fell asleep on the couch. No! (laughs) Um, But I have seen it two and a half times.
0: Wow. Uh, I was going to say- It's after Thanksgiving,
1: my... man. Like, no, 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 no. It was no, no. no. nap not, time.
0: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not throwing any shade. I was just going to say, I was going to tell you, I feel my episode two notes are weaker. So this is going to be very interesting once we get to episode 2 Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I can't wait.